I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Carol Masser. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth interview you will not hear anywhere else. And Jason and I both agreed that we had to make John Wertheim our extra podcast. He's executive editor, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, contributing correspondent for CBS 60 Minutes. This is someone who's been writing about sports for so many decades, really knows this world inside and out. Well, and I was excited to talk to him because obviously he knows tennis very well. We mm-hmm. talk to him every year, as you say, at the U.S. Open. He's been tracking that, but also tracking the broader world of sports. He's been writing a lot. We also got to talk to him, sort of get the backstory on a big story that he did for 60 Minutes a few weeks ago that you and I both watched with our families. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed catching up with him. Check it out. Well, we're not in a great place, honestly. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of tennis's great virtues is its global cast. But in this case, that is a, a liability. And so this is a sport where everyone's on a plane almost every week, and players come from all over, and it's really been tough. I mean, there's no guaranteed contracts. There's no players union. Um, Roger Federer is going to be just fine. Serena Williams is going to be just fine. But there are a lot of players who are run-of-the-mill, you know, very respectable serviceable pros that are really feeling the pinch right now. And I think the big question, too, and I think we see this in all sports, is just the uncertainty. And if you blow out your knee, the doctor will say, here's your rehab schedule, and if everything goes well, you'll be back by September. And if you have a rain delay, you can look at the weather map and you can prepare when the baseball game is going to resume. I think just the fact that there is no endpoint here is really been something that's been very destabilizing to to a lot of athletes who I think have lost some some sense of purpose here and they're just not quite sure how hard to train. It's it's been a very strange time and certainly uh, t- tennis players among them. So what kind of assistance could be coming their way is being asked for? I think about you know each of these individual athletes to some extent are kind of a mini small business potentially. And I do wonder, you know, we've certainly got gotten smaller business, small business assistance, you know, from the federal government, but I'm, I'm just curious if there's any kind of assistance, you know, coming their way. It's certainly, I'm assuming is being asked for. It's a great question. I've thought about that too. You're absolutely right. I mean, these players are basically, they're, they're independent contractors and you're right. They're, they're basically small business owners. And, I wonder about their eligibility. There has been talk about setting up some kind of a fund for players. I mean, the good news is that they're not incurring expenses. So it's very expensive to fly all over the world and employ a coach and a trainer and a physio and get massages and rackets strung. I mean, the good news is that none of them, none of the players really have those expenses right now. But uh, it's unclear. I mean, both, both tours, the ATP, which is the men's tour, and the WTA, which is the women's, are allegedly coming up with some sort of a relief program. There's also the question of how deep does this go? I mean, there are yeah. more than 1,000 players that have rankings. Do you fund the guy rank number 500, or do you limit this to just the kind of players that you and I would see at the U.S. Open? Uh, so far, it's been a lot of discussions and, and not a lot of checks being cut. Right. And and I guess one of the questions sort of kind of synthesizing some of this together is we don't know what what the end point is. We saw the French Open come out and sort of make their move. We saw Wimbledon get canceled altogether. We're still waiting, I believe, to hear from the U.S. Open. How much, uh, how much did the French kind of to not – to put not too fine opponent, sort of mess this up for everybody. Um, yeah, we should point out that the French Open, which is traditionally uh, starts around Memorial Day, 
The French Open said, we're canceling, and then a few days later they said, oh, and by the way, we're going to grab this date on the calendar in late <laughs> September and early October. And uh, everybody else in tennis said, wait a second, you can't do that. And the French Open said, we're going to offer $50 million in prize money. Right. Let's see where the players go. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the sports news today, one of the stories um, that didn't involve FIFA corruption, one of the stories was that the UFC – has this mystery island where they're going to hold Kate. Yeah. And I saw I, that. You know, <laughs> it's fascinating because it, it honestly, you sort of say, this is crazy, this is borderline irresponsible, and by the way, why not? Yeah. And I, I think tennis actually is in a position, look, you've got two players that are on the other sides of the net, you don't have the social distancing issues you have with contact sports or sports like basketball, you need about five cameras to cover tennis, and I'm thinking... Tennis actually lends itself to some creative problem-solving here. So I don't know if we're going to see Roger Federer on a private island, but I wouldn't be surprised if people got sort of entrepreneurial about tennis here pretty fast. Let's get back to our conversation with John Wertheim, executive editor, senior writer at Sports Illustrated, contributing correspondent to 60 Minutes. So we talked tennis. We talked a little bit of UFC there, uh, John. The whole world of sports, though, I mean, we think about the NFL. We think about the NBA. We think about Major League Baseball. All sorts of contingency plans being made. The president speaking with the big commissioners uh, last weekend. What I mean, you're talking to people all the time about this. What happens next when it comes especially to professional sports? It's a great question. I mean, usually in, in times of crisis, sports uh, bring us together, and whether it's 9-11 or Katrina or a war, sports have this, this sort of unifying quality. In this case, I can't think of anything worse than sports. I mean, you've got this communicable you know, infectious disease, you've got this terrible virus, and what could be worse than putting 60,000 people in one place and telling them to all stand uh, in tight quarters and then all go down the same escalator when the game is over? Um, so sport, and it's really problematic. I mean, sports are sort of about, about the worst thing you can do for this virus. Um, I think the big question is just how creative are sports willing to get? Mm-hmm. And somebody said, hey, we, we should play the NBA playoffs on a cruise ship. Well, I don't know if that's such a ridiculous idea. I mean, the sports have really been moving towards the viewer at home, the viewer on their phone, and away from the the fan in the arena. I mean, the media rights matter more than ever. Yeah, maybe this will accelerate that. But I, I think this. I think sports are going to sort of have to decide how creative they're willing to get. I mean, we keep hearing about this closed door scenario where games are played um, not in front of fans, but just so that there are TV cameras and we we can all watch these uh, at at home. I think some sports are sort of lend themselves to that more than others. Some sports are pre. The NFL, they're only eight home games, so yeah, put put the put the games on TV, and it doesn't matter if they're fans in the stands or not. There's some logistical, you know, there's some logistical challenges there. But I just, you know, we we keep talking about flattening the curve and when we're going to get back to some semblance of normalcy. I think sports are going to be about the last thing yeah. to uh, to resume, just because. The idea of packing 20,000 fans into an arena to watch a basketball game is about the worst thing you can imagine. So it's it's really interesting, and I think, um, you know, we, we've obviously never had anything like this, but I think sports are going to have to figure out sort of how, how creative they're willing to get because, you know, the, the NFL starting the first Sunday in September doesn't seem particularly likely right now. Right. So, John, so this is something in terms of the sports world, at least in your view, do you anticipate that in 2021, easily, we're still dealing with the after effects of it on the sports world. 
You know, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to sort of uh, speculate too much. I mean, mm. I feel like we all need to kind of respect the unknown here. Mm. Ideally, you know, when, when there's a vaccine, I think it's a different ball game. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, would, would you? Uh, let me, let me turn this on you guys. Would, would, would you guys go to a, a Yankees <laughs> no. game or, nope, or no. a Jets game in the fall? No. Yeah, Not I a think chance. a lot of people have the same. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, it, we, we know this. We know this from how we got into this mess. It, it only takes one person. And, you know, the, the idea of, of standing in row 23 for three hours with thousands of other people, it just, I, I don't know, um, even if the games are held, I'm not sure how many people actually show up anyway, but um, I, I think, you know, it's, who knows what's going to happen, but I, I think 2020 could be a wash, basically. Yeah. Well, it's been interesting to see, you know, we talked about tennis, but also to see golf trying to to deal with this, which Mm -hmm. I I feel like goes back to something you said at the top of the conversation, which is, you know, very international sport. You think about putting something on like the Masters, the the concern is as much for the players, right, as the fans. So you play it without fans, but you've still got people coming from, from all over the world. And while you're not, you know, like doing a lot of physical interaction with each other in, in still golf. There's each other, still, right? you know, there is still is some sense of, of proximity, but I, I guess there's also a huge amount of money on the line here and, and the economics get pretty complicated. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a sort of a, a classic struggle, right? Between, uh, between health and, and finding, I mean, we see this in our, in our daily, uh, you know, in our daily presidential press briefings, yes. this tension between public health and this, this economic crisis and a health crisis. But I, I think, given I mean, a sport like golf, a sport like tennis, there's only one locker room. And yeah. a, a tennis player made this point to me, and I, I think it's a really good point, which is, listen, we all want to get back out there. We all want to be making money. This has been financially devastating. But it takes one player's racket stringer who is on the back of a flight from Slovenia. I mean, it's just the flukiest interaction and you're talking about dozens and dozens of players all in one locker room, and it, you know it, it, it just takes one positive. And we, we saw this with you know with, with the soccer game in, in northern Italy. Right. It just takes one positive, and I, I think you're right. Even if there are no fans in the stands, you still have you've got players, you've got officials. Someone's got to operate those cameras. Someone's got to be in the broadcast truck. And suddenly, even in this this closed door scenario, even without selling a single ticket. You're still talking about hundreds and hundreds of people on the ground. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that the threshold for when is it healthy enough and when are we economically desperate enough is something that's going to be really interesting to monitor. Well, and listen, it's been interesting to monitor the Olympics and how long it yeah. took them to really back off. I mean, there's the penultimate you know, gathering of athletes from all over the world, thousands of people who come to see it, uh, and you understand why it took them a while to do it, but... You know, they had to. And you do wonder about the future of these kinds of events, especially if we continue to see, you know, viruses continue to be kind of a part of our world, John. I mean, I think that's what's really scary about all of this, that there, there's a COVID-19 because there were 18 predecessors. Yeah. Right. And we may get a vaccine for this, but who knows when the next one is coming and who knows if, if we go back to normal. And then in October, they say, you know what, there's been a flare up. Everyone back in shelter at home. And, I mean, the Olympics is just, again, to what I was saying before, imagine somebody said you've got, I mean, it's exactly what you said, Carol, you've, you've got millions of people coming from all over the globe. You have athletes from all over the globe. They're going to be staying in something called the Olympic Village. Where right. They all are staying together. <laughs> you almost yeah. could not imagine a, a worse scenario for an infectious disease. So 
you know, I mean, it, it sounds trite, and we keep hearing words like unprecedented, but I, I really think this is a, a pivot point in history that we are all, uh, we're all going through right now. And so, John, I do want to, I want to switch gears a little bit because I, I was excited to talk to you in part because the report you did recently on, on 60 Minutes uh, about Africa and basketball players was really well done. Just a nice piece of investigative journalism. My family and I, we're big 60 Minutes fan. We love when you, when you do stuff on, on that program. Tell us a little bit uh, about the story and, and maybe where it goes from here. Obviously, we're in a, a, in a different world. Um, only got about a, a minute here to do all of that, but <laughs> I wanted to make sure we talked about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, long story short, there's been this tremendous and tremendously successful wave of African players into uh, into basketball, into the NBA. It's been a great story, but there has been an underside to that, which is a lot of players that have come to the U.S. under very dubious circumstances and have not been successful. And there are a lot more uh, tragic figures than there are heroes here. And basically, I mean, long story short, what we discovered is that you have this, this I-20 visa program. It's basically an honor system, and schools yeah. are able to sponsor these kids, and there's very little checks and balances. And the school that somebody sets up in a church that probably only has room for a couple dozen kids is somehow issuing dozens and dozens and dozens of these, these I-20 visas. And it really is a, a loophole that um, it's how these, these kids get here. These kids are recruited. Sometimes they're not even basketball players. If somebody says, hey, this, this guy's seven feet tall, let's, let's get him here and we can deal with the rest later. And there are, uh, there are a lot of sad stories. And there, there are a lot of happy stories, but there is a, a sort of we said that the trail is littered with, uh, with, with sad tales. Yeah, and I right. think a lot of it's because of this loophole. And that was John Wertheim, executive editor for Sports Illustrated. Such a thoughtful guy and really left us with a lot to think about. Well, I think it summed up our week, too, about how 2020 could be a wash when it comes to sports. And then he just took a step back even further about where we are in history. And he said this could be a pivot point in history. And so well said. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune in to Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg.